Welcome to a night of total terror. <laughs> when was the last time you were scared out of your wits? Gentlemen, my guest this time, Trevor Henderson. How you doing, sir? Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, glad to have you, my friends. So, of course, I just mentioned uh, a character that you've created that's become quite popular the last few years. But before we get into that, yeah. I want to I want to set the stage and do this properly. So, what were your beginnings with art like? Was it something you just fell into? Was it something you always had a natural knack for? What what led you from there to now? Um, yeah, I've always I've always drawn uh, from as far back as I can remember, um, and it was usually spooky stuff because uh, my dad really got me into horror movies and horror books, and um, I have a lot of nostalgia for horror uh, just because that was uh, how I bonded with my dad in a lot of ways, I guess. And uh, I guess my creative pursuits just kind of like grew out of that, watching horror movies and reading, you know, my dad's Stephen King novels and all that stuff when I was very very young um and then you know i just kept drawing all the way through everything through high school um went to the ontario college of art design um got a bachelor's in illustration um yeah you know a lot of that was fan art for horror movies and stuff um but then slowly started becoming its own thing in different ways and then uh yeah i didn't start doing the the, the photo stuff like the kind of stuff i'm doing currently until like 2018 i guess um, but I've always drawn horror and it's just always been really a really um, important thing for me. What what uh, in terms of horror, other than your father, what was your real exposure to the genre? Like what what were the what were the horror entities that really started influencing you from a young age? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I watched a lot of like 80s uh, horror movies when I was incredibly young. My dad would come home from uh, a unloading uh, trucks uh, at like three in the morning on a school night and would wake me up when I was like nine or 10 and we'd go downstairs and watch, you know, the beyond or evil dead or any of these like not for kids horror movies. Um, that's some really quality, some quality parenting right there. Yeah. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd advise it for anybody in the future, but like it, it really was um, formative for me in a lot of different ways. Um, so yeah, the, the whole roster of like the classic eighties horror films was, was kind of a, a jumping off point, I guess when I was, ridiculously young um and besides that yeah like i mentioned um, a lot of my dad's stephen king paperbacks that he kept in his nightstand are there any stephen king novels you feel particularly strongly about yeah um it's his second anthology collection is the most important thing for me which is skeleton crew um i read that really young along with you know it and a bunch of other stuff but, but skeleton crew uh you know defined a what I think of his horror in a lot of ways, I guess. Um, specifically, there's a story in it called The Jaunt that is just like the scariest thing Stephen King's ever written. And it's like a, you know, 15 page uh, science fiction story, but it's terrifying. Take me through, take me through The Jaunt for those who don't yeah. know. Okay, so The Jaunt is a uh, science fiction 
uh, story from Stephen King uh, that is set in an airport in the future where we've developed teleportation. And it's like the, the teleportation version of an airport. And it's a family waiting in this lounge kind of uh, to go on a trip to Mars for business or to move to Mars. And it's going to be like an instant trip. Um, but the kids are scared about it because you have to be gassed to go teleport. You have to go under, you have to be unconscious basically to teleport. And the carts are going around with like these gassing stations to put people under. So the dad is going through the whole history of how teleportation was developed um, and telling his family just to kind of distract them. So they'll be reassured by the time they, you know, the, the knockout gas comes, they can go on the strip. And it just goes through the whole thing about how it was developed by like this kooky scientist in a barn and the government took hold of it and everything. But the one problem with it that they realized right from the start of it is that um, whenever you put something through conscious, uh, not asleep, it just dies instantly. Like he puts the mouse through and it'll just take a step and just like its heart gives out. And then it follows all the way up through until they're testing it on human beings and there's like people um you know death row death row inmates have like a chance to have their sentence knocked out if they'll go through you know conscious and you know they all go through and all, to a man they all just drop dead except for one whose hair is now like shock white and he says uh it's forever in there and then you know it, it's going through these different things about how like you know the mafia uses it to get rid of bodies by like turning on one end of the teleportation and not the other and just throwing people into nothing nowhere um and then the, the big climax of the story is that um, the family goes through and wakes up on Mars, but the, the kid, the son, held his breath and didn't go get knocked out. Um, so it basically describes that the kid at the end is like this cackling thing that is both ancient and young at the same time. Um, because while for your body, it's second to get from one place to another, for your conscious mind, it's literally infinity. It, you're forever in this space. So he's been, the kid has been like conscious, alive in this void for literally infinite amounts of time while his body went through in a second. So he's both ancient and like six years old and he gouges his own eyes out and says, Jesus. It's, longer, it's longer than you think, dad. It's longer than you think. It's just like horrifying. <laughs> wow. Those yeah, are the kind of things, those are the kind of things you can really only do with cosmic and space horror, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. Just the idea of, of being forced to perceive it, eternity, literally an unfathomable amount of time is is, is horrible. That is uh, my yeah. God. I gotta check yeah. check check out the jaunt. That's <laughs> yeah. we'll be recommending yeah. a lot of stuff, but definitely check that out. My next it's question my for you, it, I can understand why. That's a genuinely unnerving <laughs> fucking thing, honestly. Yeah. Here's, yeah. Speaking of unnerving, here's uh, here's my next actual question for you. Um, your artwork has always had this old school photography analog feel. Yeah. And yeah. and that's well, personally, not to mark out, but that's always what I've adored about your artwork that I genuinely Thanks. feel like it's always had this aura to me of, oh, I've found this like on an old hard drive somewhere. Or, yeah, oh, yeah. I found that, oh, I, I, I just got this camera developed when I was a kid. I don't remember taking these photos, et cetera, et cetera. All, exactly, the, all, yeah. the, all those old chestnuts. But your artwork really evokes that sense of, I'm looking at something I'm not supposed to be seeing right now. Thank and you. I'm, yeah. wonder, I'm wondering, A, is that intentional? And B, why analog? Why old photos? What about that specifically appeals to you? Oh yeah, it's absolutely intentional. Um, and I guess I guess what I'm trying to go for is uh, the way that it 
it started this this whole thing of using the photos and um even before that when i was doing fully digitally painted pieces that were just made to look like photos before i switched to doing more like stuff that actually incorporated photos is that um you know i love found footage movies and i love the way that the found footage subgenre of horror movies specifically um it, it feels like it takes away one extra level between the audience and what's happening with the characters in the movie when you're watching a found footage movie rather than say uh, you know, a more traditional horror film, because no matter how scary a traditional horror film is, you're still going to get like the, the structure of film, like camera compositions, um, you know, soundtrack, things like that, that while they can be very scary, they still hold the audience at a distance um, because you're always reminded like this is a film because those conventions of film are there. But when you get a found footage film, it really does let you play into the illusion that this is something you found or something that is being shown to you that was um, a real recording. The events in the film have that less distance between you watching it and what's happening, I guess. So I wanted to break that down even further and just be like, can I just take that to its barest um, requirements and say like, I'm gonna just go and take like, you know, the big money moments from a found footage horror movie, like the big reveal or whatever, like that scene in Signs where he sees the alien you know how scary that is can i break that down without having to have the whole narrative structure of a film around it building up to it just have that image and just work with the confines of twitter like the you know the the word count how many 100 and whatever words and just work with that to give it a little bit of context and just leave everything else up to the audience and that'll be like all the best parts of a found footage horror movie um but with the maximum amount of interaction with the person who's seeing it because you have to come up with the whole story of what this image is and the implications of that um, just from this one image and this little bit of text and slapping those together and and, and kind of forming your own story um, so, which is a long way of saying that I like how found footage horror movies can really involve the viewer in a way that any other horror movie by the pure restrictions of genre and um, you know filmmaking cannot. And I want to do that even further and just kind of distill it down as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I've always, that's a honestly a wonderful answer. I've always, I've always dug that about the genre and clearly yeah. like that. I've always kind of felt the same way about it in the sense that it engages you in the movie in a way that a traditional narrative format can't. Exactly. Yeah. And you have to look like you have to really engage, right? Because um, you know, a horror movie is going to always going to, you know, if there's a scare or there's a monster or something, it's going to be framed, it's going to be lit well, it's going to be like you're going to be shown it. Um, whereas if, if there's something like that in a found footage movie, you have to look, you have to engage. That's actually, that's a perfect segue for this, actually. We'll yeah. get into a bit of a, definitely want to get, you talk about this movie on your social media a lot. And yeah. it's kind of the reason I went to check it <laughs> out and I was not disappointed. Can you tell me a little bit about the tunnel and why you think it's an underrated gem? Yeah, I can absolutely tell you about the tunnel and why I think it is an underrated gem. Um, yeah, everyone should see the tunnel. It's it's great. And not only is it great, but it's free. The, the creators of the film have just put it on YouTube uh, for you to watch. It's not illegal to watch. It's, they did it themselves. It's great. You should watch it. Um, but the tunnel is um, a really successful found footage horror movie, I feel, because it, it's just a very, very successful execution of a very simple premise which is that very simple very simple a bunch of reporters uh or newscasters i think going to the sewers 
in uh in australia uh, because people have been going missing and there is a horrible thing there and then they have to avoid the horrible thing um i just feel like it's incredibly successful um it shows just enough of the monster the monster is just uh it, it's simple but just distinctive enough to stand out um there's just enough little details about it like how it collects people's eyeballs for some reason you don't even know why i don't know why it's it's terrifying though um the ambiguity and, of the whole thing is what really sells it yeah. because like this is a this is a premise that if elaborated on too much could kind of ruin the ride and i yes. love how like you said you're given just enough of a glimpse at this thing to get a sense of what it is yeah. but not enough to really no process yeah. it which I yeah. think is just not being given that ability to process what you're looking at kind of enhances Absolutely. the dread you're feeling, honestly. Absolutely. There's, there's countless found footage horror movies where they feel an obligation, and not even just found footage horror movies, horror movies in, in general, where they feel an obligation to show the audience, you know, the creature. They show too much. They feel like they paid for, you know, the audience will be upset if they don't get to see this thing full on um so they show too much they tip their hand and it's usually like you know something that maybe they should have kept hidden or not shown as much and even just showing it for a fraction of a section second is enough to to kind of spoil take something away you know from a horror movie and uh the tunnel's great because they just show exactly the right amount and not too much um and they don't spell anything out like they don't find any you know, newspaper clippings saying like the, you know, this monster, this guy was here and he got mutated or, or something like stupid like that. It's always just, there's a, there's a monster. You don't need to know where it came from. You don't need to know its deal. It's there. It's, it's scary in a specific way. And they just go through the plot and execute it in a really interesting way. There's a lot of really interesting ideas at play off of that main, very simple plot line. There's a really great sequence that I've never seen I think I've maybe never seen another found footage movie do it where the, the monster actually picks up the camera at one point and is filming them unbeknownst, uh, which is really, really successful and good. Uh, it's just like, it's just a great, just a great, really successful found footage horror movie, you know? The, th the thing that I good. love about, the thing that I love about the tunnel monster the most, as you just mentioned, not only does it yeah. film them, it almost seems to take this bizarre pleasure in fucking oh, yeah. with them. It's having like, fun. Oh, yeah. this thing isn't just a monster. It's kind of a dick too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you That's... rarely see that level of personality from an inhuman monster, which is kind of interesting. Exactly. And, you know, especially in found footage horror movies, it's hard to give your antagonist or your, your monster um, any motivation other than it's just trying to kill somebody so whenever you get them get something especially something inhuman like that that's that's playing with them um and and kind of fucking with them it, it just adds an extra level of being really scary yeah it's really good uh it's definitely one of my that's top 10 for sure i'd say just because it's it's it manages to walk that tightrope of of not doing too much of one and not doing too too little of another just right down the middle if you guys haven't seen it it's for free on youtube like you said give it a watch if you're looking for films to fill up your halloween playlist this year give it a whirl it's it's fantastic i can't yeah. recommend it enough uh and we were mentioning before the various formats of found footage and the ones that tend to leak into your photography do you have any thoughts on trail cams oh i love trail cams yeah i um i should honestly do more with that uh yeah, trail cams are inherently scary uh, because you get all kinds of weird things wandering in front of the camera and it has a natural distortion. It's usually like grainy, shitty, black and white photography and, and 
that, that just lends itself really well. I like to draw really like messed up looking deer on those because uh, deer are something I find scary in a weird way. I don't know why specifically, but um, yeah, no, trail cams are great. Uh, there should be more there should be more of that used in like you know it should be a horror game that's just told specifically through trail cams that'd be great just switching between them like five nights at freddy's or whatever if anybody's if any developers from itch.io are like listening right now there's there's a free idea for you but you copyright but you copyright this man <laughs> no they uh, can just take it just do it i, I just want to see that in the world so yeah. like it take it for free <laughs> take it for free Take it for free. Okay, here's gonna be a, here's gonna be an interesting concept, and this this is gonna be an interesting question here because I'm yeah. wondering what what your response to this will be. You are obviously you are putting out like a couple of pieces a month, every month, every few weeks, and like you, yeah. your designs run a very wide gambit from very minimal to very excessive to very human to very inhuman, but they're all very yeah. different. There are some commonalities between them. I'd say you have an affinity for very distorted facial features, extended yeah. limbs, kind of an inhuman quality to them. But here's my question. Are there any tropes in creature design that you feel need to die a death? And are there some that you think need to make a resurgence? Like what's your design hot take when it comes to monsters that you think might piss some people off? Um, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm the worst victim for this, but I'm trying to move or not victim, worst perpetrator of this, but I'm trying to move away from it myself. I just think that the long limbed humanoid guys are, are played out. And that's a lot of what I, I do. So I'm actively trying to resist the urge to do that sometimes for that's another skinny guy. I got to just no more super tall, skinny guys. Um, but for something that I feel like has never really worked or been scary, I mean, it, it could be cool, but it's not scary as tentacles. Tentacles don't work for me at all. Um, they just, they're not scary. It's not scary. Uh, that would be the big one, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, I mean, I think anything can work if you're, if you execute in an interesting way or in uh, a way that hasn't really been seen before. You mentioned um, unusually long limbs being one of the tropes that you're not a big fan yeah. of, and that kind of ducktails into something else. Uh, unusually long limbs is a recurring trope used in a very popular analog horror series making the rounds right now called the Mandela called the Mandela catalog. Yeah. And my question to you is number one, have you heard of that series? What do you think of it? And two, what's your overall opinion on the explosion of analog horror we've been seeing on YouTube the last few years? <coughs> um, excuse me. Uh, I've heard of it and I've, I haven't seen it yet because I have a big backlog of stuff I have to watch, but I will watch it soon. I promise um, I have heard it's really good. Um, it, it's generally regarded as one of the better analog horror series. I think like pretty much the best besides uh, Local 58, which is my personal favorite. That's like the best to do it. And if I, you've uh, never seen it, Local 58 is fucking fantastic. It's a found Local footage, ARG kind of yeah. Eldridge story, which you wouldn't think that those elements would work well together, but they do in this instance. Yep. Chris talk, about Local, talk about Local 58 a little bit. Tell me why that oh, yeah. so much to you. Oh, absolutely. Um, I just think that that, I think that that series, despite only having like four or five episodes, um, kind of set the mold in a lot of ways uh, for pretty much every analog year, uh, analog horror series that has come after. Um, not to say that they're having the ones that do their own thing, but they kind of, you know, it, it set the tone for everything that came after it. Um, and, or even if it, even if there were some that came before Local 58, I feel like that's kind of the one that rose up and kind of popularized it a little bit um and even then 
Local 58 does a lot of things with the format that I have not seen any other analog horror series do. You know, like there's that one episode that's just a, a, a automated government message uh, instructing everyone to kill themselves because they've been invaded. Like that's a high ambition um, and genuinely scary idea that uh, that kind of thing doesn't really get tackled um, in other analog horror series. Um, I, I can't speak on it too much because I honestly haven't watched too many of the series. There's a lot out there and they're doing some really interesting things. Um, Local 58 is my favorite. And I really like the very popular Backrooms series that's happening right now. Um, oh, tremendous. Kane? What is, uh, is, the, is his name Alex Kane? I have, I tell you what, I have the internet right here and I can verify yeah. that for you, sir. Uh, Kane Pixels. Kane Pixels. That's it. Yeah, Kane Pixels. Those are amazing. And it makes me so angry that the Sam. first make is 15 years old or 16 years old. Like, holy shit. They if look you... am amazing. I need to jump in on this one, obviously. If you <laughs> haven't seen The Backrooms, which if you haven't, shame on you. It's for free on YouTube and it's barely 10 minutes. It's a it's a found footage short film made by this incredibly talented kid, a literal so child, a literal child human yeah. who made this, I believe, in Blender, I believe. And uh, you yeah. wouldn't even know it by looking at it. I honestly thought to myself, where did this dude find this endless succession of empty hallways to use? And the fact that I did not pick up on the fact that it was all computer generated blew my mind open. This is yes. better than some found footage films I've seen released on a professional level. Absolutely. In the last is. few years. And bear in mind, yes. this is for free on YouTube that a teenager made. Yeah. It's uh it's amazing. Um that and uh and local 58 are the two the two big ones uh, for me. And local 58's incredible because it's made by Chris Straub, who is basically you know, internet horror royalty at this point. He did can he wrote Candle Co. He uh he's just had his hands in lots of stuff. And I just really hope Local 58 comes back. Um I've heard rumblings that it might, and uh, I hope that that happens very soon because it's my favorite. Chris Trout really is Chris oh, yeah. is a is a is a G in these parts. Like he Oh yeah, he's great. Very few horror stories affect me like as viscerally as Candle Cove did, quite honestly. I remember reading that for the first time and actually getting goosebumps up the back of my neck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely out of those original, like, creepypasta internet stories. That's it, That's got to be, like, one of the best. Just because of its brevity and how much it accomplishes. With, I think it's a page long. It's, like, three quarters of a page long. And it, it does so much. And it kind of set that set a mold, too. He just keeps making molds. Uh, he really does. Yeah, he's really good. Just a just a reminder, kids. Something doesn't have to be long in order to be successful. It something can be short and succinct and still be good. Honestly, it it, it lends itself to being better if it is like more succinct. I think like a lot of creepy passes. The the pit I see them fall into is uh, explaining too much, go spinning their wheels a bit, going on too long. You know, like get in, get out. Um, yeah, that. Yeah, uh, that's what I would say. My that's other favorite. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say my favorite uh, creepy pasta besides that is uh, Search and Rescue Woods, and those are all very short. They they combine into something bigger, but each one is is not very long. To me, that's the winning format. Small stories that all add up to a greater whole. Honestly, not trying to connect everything. Yeah. Excessively, but you totally. mentioned creepy pastas, and that's actually a perfect segue for this. I mentioned before. You had created a character that has quite honestly achieved that 
coveted Slenderman Jeff the Killer level of widespread yeah. notoriety. Positive notoriety. Is there a positive word for notoriety? Let's just say positive. Uh, let's just say positive notoriety. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say positive notoriety. And I, I think I, it's popularity. Popularity is the positive notoriety. Yeah. Popularity. <laughs> Doi. Hello. But <laughs> what's the, I had a highfalutin word planned. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Whatever. Point is, your character, Siren Head, has really taken on a life of his own, but I don't yeah. think I've ever gotten the true backstory as to where this character came from. So please tell me the story of how a simple <laughs> drawing of a creature with a siren head goes from relative internet obscurity to being praised by Junji Ito on a YouTube video. Oh my God, that video. I can just, I, I need to, when I die, I just need to get a tombstone with a video player and a screen in it so it can just replay that clip over and over again. He really uh, liked Siren Head. He really liked it. He said it touched him here. Like, holy shit. I uh, can't even believe it. Um, I wish I had some crazy story about that. I don't, I don't really. What happened was that in 2018, I think, uh, I was working at my last retail job, which I don't work at anymore because of COVID and a bunch of other stuff. I was working at a bookstore, um, uh, which was the latest in a long string of retail jobs that I've worked all the way since I was 13, all the way up until 2018. And uh, I didn't have any time in the evenings to do any art, but I also wanted to keep putting out art. And um, I had struck, just kind of struck on uh, doing these found footage style drawings. And I'd moved on from fully painting them to incorporating photos that people had, had sent in, um, you know, and then I would credit them. Uh, so I had a big folder of, of, of photos and I would just come home. And the cool thing about that was that I, I would just be able to focus on creature design and lighting and texture and just making this monster fit the image. That was all I had to do. I didn't have to like do a whole composition or, or paint a whole background or all that stuff because I was exhausted and I just come home from working at a stupid bookstore. So I was able to do like three of those a night because they were fairly simple. And um, I was just pumping them out basically and doing different monsters that I would pick, a, I would pick a photo and be like, what would be, what would go here? And just would basically come up with it on the spot. Didn't do any sketches, nothing like that. And just kind of paint it in, try and match to the best of my ability to the colors and the textures and the light and the shadow of the photo as an exercise, just trying to get better at, at doing that. And then I, once that was done, then I would write the little prompt at the end uh, and then, boom you know send it off on on social media um so yeah the first siren head photo was just just that and it was inspired by um number stations uh, i don't know if you know what number stations are but they're super scary to me they're these um radio stations that are just floating on the airwaves to this day um and people think that they're a spy broadcast from the war that have just never been shut down like codes uh to keep spies updated or like peep agents in the field, that kind of thing. So you know, you'll you'll still you can look these up. They're they're, they're still going, I think. Um, but they're just like these very creepy, garbled radio broadcasts of like, you know, children saying random numbers and random tones that mean nothing because it's 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 all in code in theory. Um, so Siren was just like number stations scare me. What if there was an ambulatory number station, like a creature that was emitting these these broadcasts and it was coming from one monster basically um so i just drew siren head in there and i you know gave him the the sirens and then i moved on and did a bunch of other stuff 
um, you know, and and people responded really positively to the design to the point where um, I started doing more with him over the coming weeks. Um, and uh, Modus Interactive, who's a mutual friend on Twitter, who's a game maker, uh, just asked me, oh, can I can I just do like a quick little demo style game of Siren Head? I really like the character design. I was like, sure, of course. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of popularity, but nothing really blew up. Um, and then I moved on and just kept doing other stuff, making other characters. And it wasn't until 2020, I think, so like almost two two plus years later, that a couple things happened within days of each other um, in April. I think it was April 2020. What happened was that at the exact same time, um, I believe his name is Alex Howard, a guy uh, uh, who does these uh, CG animated kind of little clips for Instagram with monsters, did one of Siren Head. Um, this, that blew up. It was uh, this giant siren head over a city with like sirens in the background and like gunshots. And it's just like this huge, like kaiju sized siren head. And that blew up on TikTok. Like it, that just started going everywhere on TikTok. I don't use TikTok, but I'm, that's that's what happened. And at the same time as this has happened, a day or two before, uh, Markiplier started playing, played the, the game that Modus Interactive had made uh, on his channel. And it was like, what's siren head? I've never heard of this thing before, but it's really cool. So those two things in conjunction, and then the other other game channels picking up what Markiplier kind of did, uh, Jacksepticeye and other people like that, uh, combined to make Siren Head, the, the design itself, go viral. That was what happened. Um, but I didn't, I made him like two years before. Like this is, it took that long for it to catch on. It was completely random. It was just that these two things happened at the same time and that he became viral on the internet and, and kind of caught on and blew up uh yeah what was the true what was the exact moment for you like maybe you were just going about your day and then you checked your phone or your social media and you realized i have a lot more traffic than usual what's going on today yeah it might i think it was i think it might have been when markiplier played played the game and was talking really positively about the design um you know people have been really positive and 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 more and more fan art and stuff was coming in before that but but when that happened i was like oh okay this is uh, and then, you know, you look at TikTok, the TikTok video from Alex Howard, and it had like, you know, 13 million views or more on it. It's just, yeah, th those things together, it was, oh, okay, this is going to blow up a bit, I guess, geez. Um, and then it got picked up by uh, kids' YouTube in a lot of really weird ways, um, started, became like an icon for, for kids. Um, all of my work respond kids really respond well to it i get tons of people like little kids emailing me saying they love all my monsters and stuff uh which is really cool um it's not anything i would ever have expected but um yeah that that all tied into it too and uh kid fans really helped siren head go viral as well i think We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. On September 18th, Catalyst Wrestling proves that it's all just a state of mind. Join us live from Chilo's Greenwood at 745th Avenue in Brooklyn, New York for this action-packed card. Darius Carter defends his Catalyst Wrestling Championship against all good Anthony Green. The Catalyst Wrestling Freestyle Championship is on the line as Ghost Shadow looks for a historic third reign against the man known as the Savage Gentleman, Victor Benjamin, managed by Real Deal, the King of the Dot Champion. Also in 
action, the first ever Chilos Netico, as Colby Carino, captaining the business, takes on Rob Kiljoy, captaining the Vulture Squad. Don't miss Vanilla Vargas from AAA, Pretty Peter Avalon from AEW, NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion Homicide, and so much more. Join us live Sunday afternoon with a special 4 p.m. bell time. Order your tickets now at CatalystWrestling.com. Get them now. And we are back. Thank you for joining us again for this interview with horror artist Trevor Henderson, who just took us through the backstory of Siren Head. So obviously this character like still means a lot to you even two or three years down the line have you yet to have that like maybe relationship with the character has it gotten to the point where you're like man is this the only thing i'm going to be known for or is like or do you still have like an appreciation for the people that know you specifically through that oh no yeah no i mean i i still like the design and um you know i i feel like i've somehow dodged that ever feeling that way because like i said you know when i did it I drew Siren Head, and because there was such a staggered amount of time before he kind of caught on and became weirdly viral, I I just moved on and was doing other art and other creature designs and other stuff that I'm really proud of. So while I still really, really like Siren Head, and I'm really happy he caught on in that way, uh, you know, I like a lot of other monsters I designed just as much or or more uh, what, that haven't caught on. What's um, a recent favorite of yours? Oh, the Sisters of the Ever Sharpening Blade that are like these awful nuns made of knives um i like them a lot uh and long horse was made around the same time as siren head but I, I really like that one and that one never that guy never caught on quite so much um there's a there's a bunch of them there's um there's these awful little men in suits with knives called the piecemeal men that cut people apart there's the uh a man with the upside down face who causes car accidents there's there's a bunch i just like really like making up monsters um so you know there's it's not just siren head Thankfully for me, um, it's like a whole bestiary of, of, of weird dudes. Um, and Siren Head's just the one that got really uh, popular and, and famous. Um, but no, I still really like Siren Head. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I have an idea for a, a whole narrative with the character that I've never, haven't done yet that I think would be really cool. Like a, like a good in for that kind of, uh, uh, for a concept for like a book or a comic or something like that. I'd love to do so at some point. Um, so no, yeah, even like two or three years out, I'm, I'm, I, I still like the character, and I think that there's a uh, potential to to do like a full narrative with a, with them eventually. Honestly, I know that I and others would love to see Siren Head in a bigger capacity because there is something not to blow smoke up your ass, but there is something kind of haunting about the character, and especially the level of Thanks. sound design that various other creators have employed oh, yeah, yeah. when adapting him. I've always loved the siren effect that people apply to the various clips out there like is there a particular other than the video games is there a particular favorite fan version of siren head you've seen maybe a short film or another piece of artwork you know there is one that's really stood stood out to me that was a very found footage a very like minimal approach to siren head uh but you know i can't think of the name off the top of my head it was just like one of the, the the many siren head little fan films that came out at the time and I just thought it was so good and successful. I really have to hunt it down again. I feel bad. Uh, Dude, yeah, after the after the fact, I'll, I'll the, try and find off, it. Off the air, I'll get the info from you and I'll yeah. splice it over the clip. That way perfect. it looks like you know what you're talking about. Perfect, perfect, yeah. Um, so, no yeah. 
That you, one. Mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned comic books and that's a perfect yeah. segue because one thing you tweet about as frequently as film and artwork is your affinity for horror manga and i wanted yeah. to talk to you about that one creation i've seen you talk about before is frankenfran and yeah, yeah. some i'm not actually familiar with it but you seem to be quite you seem to have quite an affinity for this one so tell, tell me a little about frankenfran yeah, uh, Frankenfran's a really fun, really weird body horror comedy manga. Um, I think it's from the 80s. I, I've only read it through the once, but it, it really stuck with me. Uh, and it just it doesn't have anywhere near the, the fan base it should. It's about a character, Frankenfran, who's basically like a, a Frankenstein's monster who is now operating uh, alone in this, this mansion or whatnot as a doctor as a, as as like uh the, in the role of the creator that that made her um and that's kind of just the wrap around is that there's this character who's like um stitched together from different body parts has a bunch of different limbs like a spider um but people keep coming to frankenfran with their problems and so it's like an anthology where like each chapter or or issue is um a different person coming to frankenfran with a problem that they want solved and she solves these problems uh, and just genuinely in the most absolutely horrible body horror, nasty way you could ever imagine. Um, completely unintentionally. She thinks she's doing very good for everyone. Um, so like there's comedy in it, but the end results are just unspeakably horrible. Um, where like, you know, and it goes into all kinds of weird tangents where like she ends up making living mascots for uh, an amusement park because I think all the, the mascot, the people wear the suits strike or something. So she genetically engineers like these weird anthropomorphic dogs and bears and stuff. And uh, that, you know, eventually go rabid and, and, and start terrorizing a park. There's this one where a girl wants to be more and more beautiful. So she eventually ends up looking like an anime character, but like in real life, like what that would look like in real life, which is awful. Um, oh, Lordy. <laughs> Yeah, it gets really weird and really nasty in a lot of ways while still keeping that goofy kind of comedic vibe. Um, yeah, everyone should read it. It's really weird. Uh, it's a really strange horror manga um, that just has not gotten its due at all, I don't think, as of yet. Um, but it, yeah, weird, weird body horror stuff in that one. Speaking of uh, Japan and body horror, let's talk about Junji Ito for a second. Yeah um like how does he play any mate we mentioned it before obviously when talking about the yeah. phenomenon of siren head but how much um importance does his work hold oh, huge, for you hugely hugely important um and what about his work specifically do you feel evokes such terror oh i think he's one of the uh the best creators of, uh, in the horror genre of, of all time i think uzumaki is one of the best works of horror that's ever been made ever um he'll never top uzumaki in, in my in my opinion i think it's yeah absolutely i got that version and i also have a the 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 three-part soft cover editions that i got when i was 16. i got to meet him in toronto a couple of years back and he signed one so i've been like armored up in bag and plastic and taped up i'll never open it again it's like zip uh, air sealed um no i think he's amazing um i just think i think that uh he is his the way he does horror um is is definitive it's just like set it set a precedent i guess it's just uh, his ideas are unreal um his, the way he can draw 
people and scenes um, as detailed and beautiful as he can, just like the most horrific nightmares. Um, yeah, he's just, he's amazing. I have nothing really, I can only say good things about him. Um, so when he, when I, you know, when he saw Siren Head and, and approved, that was, that was very, uh, I could hang it up right there, I guess. That's kind of like, that's the best thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, always remember one of the first, maybe the first horror comic I ever read was Uzumaki Volume 1 when it hit my small town comic book store in Oshawa, uh, outside of Toronto, and uh, just completely blew my mind. Um, and then the other big thing was the uh, Enigma of Emma Garthal, which everyone talks about because it became a huge meme. But it's genuinely so scary, and I'll never forget, like, reading that um, in my room in, like, a sunlight sunlit Sunday afternoon it just completely destroying me uh in every possible way uh yeah if, I, I, if you haven't checked out Shinji Ito's work at, in any capacity do so by this point because he yeah. sticks with you yeah I think that you know he's so saturated at this point I feel like everyone has at least read something by him I think but if you haven't you somehow dodged it up till now yeah you have to read Uzumaki if nothing else absolutely there happens to be a moment in Uzumaki that I'm not going to spoil for anybody who hasn't read it. It takes place partway through the book. The lead character, Kyrie, finds herself in a hospital. Oh, yeah, my favorite. And one of the, and something they're serving as a food item in there is mushrooms. Yeah. And they're wondering, huh, where are these mushrooms coming from? And before this story, there was an incident where mosquitoes had started like attacking people and draining them of their blood. And this happened to affect some mothers who are in labor in that hospital. And that's all I'm going to say, because the reveal of this story is so good. It'll stick yeah. with you till the end of time. And the, the fact that he put those two disparate elements together so successfully in such a uniquely horrible, horrible way. Um, really speaks to his uh, power as a writer and a, a horror creator. An illustrator, frankly. An illustrator. Oh, my God. I mean, obviously, holy shit. Uh, to draw like him is... Lord. Yeah. Speaking of things that'll stick with you, one movie you've been uh, trotting out a lot on social media lately, aside from the tunnel, is a little movie called The Borderlands. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I love The Borderlands. Having been spurred on by that, I went to go check it out. And truthfully, this is probably one of the more viscerally unsettling things I've seen in a very long time, especially the ending, which I might yeah. want to get into a little bit if you haven't seen it. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Borderlands, definitely check it out. We both highly yeah. recommend it. But yeah, take me through The Borderlands. Take, take, take the people through The Borderlands and why that's a sort of a, a, a yeah. gem that should be appreciated a little bit more. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't want to spoil the um, the ending. So absolutely watch the movie if you, or skip ahead or, or something because you don't want to spoil the ending. But um, yeah, it's it's about uh, a priest called in who works for the Vatican, uh, basically dispelling um, claimed miracles uh, or, you know, proving or dispelling claimed miracles uh, to this little church. And uh, most of the movie, you know, an hour and, and whatever of the movie is, uh, you know, a scary but fairly straightforward um, kind of ghost story about this 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 potentially haunted church, and then the strange noises and things happening around this church and the the weird history that it has. Um, but the last half hour involves them um, finding this whole tunnel system under the church and venturing into it 
and the big reveal at the end uh, leading to the absolutely horrible and gruesome climax is that the church was never haunted. There are no ghosts, but it is built on top of uh, some sort of awful, uh, still alive entity, um, living entity. And by going into the tunnels of the church, they've crawled inside it. And the two main characters get caught in its stomach and dissolved and eaten alive at the very end. Uh, and it's just absolutely horrible. It and, is um, just as horrific as you yeah. can imagine it being. I met two people being digested yeah. on camera is admittedly when you hear that concept it sounds a little cartoonish it's not though <laughs> but in this when they go into this tunnel that you think is just a tunnel like yeah. you they turn uh, the camera and the end that they came through closes up closes like up a, yeah closes up like a sphincter and it's yeah. the most unsettling shit you have ever seen it's it's just completely vile it's it's so nasty and uh once you see that you'll never forget that movie um the rest of it's good like it's just it's a good creepy found footage horror movie but that ending just like seals the deal like you'll never not think about that speaking of movies that'll fuck your world up me and my friend matthew koffler who's a fellow artist he's a director and an editor one movie he's consistently put over to me time and time again and one that i've seen you talk about is a night is a classic black and white movie by the name of night of the hunter one of the best movies ever made yeah a lot of people say that and i'm one to agree but why yeah. do you think night of the hunter stands in such high regard um i think that uh wow it's just it's a gorgeous film um it is the it's like a pinnacle in this southern gothic neo-noir kind of um horror adjacent kind of genre there's nothing really quite like it it was directed by charles laden um and it was his one and only feature i think it bombed i think it was very um controversial at the time for showing a preacher the villain in the film is a, a murderous uh preacher who kills women um so it wasn't really something that was very seen around then that wasn't something that was done i guess um, but it takes like this Southern Gothic kind of noir feel and marries it to this real fairy tale elegance in a lot of ways. Um, there's a sequence with the two main characters who are these kids being chased by the murderous preacher, uh, making their way down river on a raft. And it is one of the most beautiful sequences in film. Um, it just, it has a, 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 the villain performance is incredible. Robert Mitchum um fucking terrifying terrifying he's got the the love hate tattoos on his fingers that pops up every once in a while in movies there's a really great um homage to that and uh spike lee's do the right thing um and also i think kate fear does that maybe as well if i'm, if I'm correct um but yeah it just it, it it it's like nothing else from the time it has this incredible atmosphere great soundtrack um, great soundtrack atmosphere that goes between this fairy tale story beauty and very visceral for its time imagery of horror there's a, a shot of a woman drowned in a car under the lake with her hair floating in the water um yeah it's just amazing it's one of the best movies ever made um you should really see it if you if you have not seen it um just truly nothing else really quite like it 
One final movie that I definitely want to gauge your opinion about that you again have put over on your social media, which frankly, like, thank you for doing so because your social media is how I've been exposed to some truly, if you have, if you don't follow this man on Twitter by this point, a silly swamp ghost, if you haven't followed him by this point, do so because if you're not, you're doing yourself a disservice because this man recommends (laughs) some truly underrated gems. Case in point, a movie called Paper House. I was hoping you were going to say Paper House. I love Paper House. I just, I try and talk about Paper House all the time. Everyone should see Paper House. It's do you want to talk to movies. us? Do you want to tell us about Paper House? <laughs> yeah, man. Paper House is amazing. Um, it's one of those movies that not I, but someone has put on in, on YouTube in its entirety. So you should watch that while you can. Um, but Paper House is just one of those movies that you watch. And it's just how are people not shouting about this thing? How is it not, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, uh, a boutique uh, Blu-ray with all the extras, 4K, all that shit. Um, it is a film about a, it's a British film. I had to make sure. I thought it might be Australian for a sec. It's a British film about a little girl who um, is living with her mom alone. Her, her dad is left, uh, the family, I believe. And uh, she, one day she gets a fever and through the rest of the movie, she's laid up in her sick bed, basically. But she finds that um, whenever she sleeps and has these fever dreams, she visits the place that she drew in a drawing like this, this this house that she draws in the drawing and every time she wakes up and adds something to the drawing and goes back to sleep it'll it'll be in the, in this dream world um and the set design is un, unmatched like the 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 sets uh, made to look like all the the scan the askew angles and uh warped perspective of a, a child's drawing a stick like stick figure drawing of a house basically um, but embodied in, in a real set that the actors can walk on is is un, un, amazing. I, like it's so beautiful. Um, but you know, it gets more and more sinister as it goes on because she finds that things don't really translate so well when you draw it really rudimentarily in a in a drawing and then it's brought to life. Like she draws a boy in a window, so she has company, but because she didn't draw his legs under the windowsill, he can't walk. And then, you know, they, at a certain point, she decides to draw her absent father. Um, absent abusive father into the drawing and then decides she doesn't want him there but can't erase it so she scribbles out the face um he still shows up but without a without a face uh so <laughs> yeah it's 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 another one of those it's another really great um almost fairy tale like dreamy spooky almost horror movie but maybe not quite a horror movie um that just it's got an amazing all the performances are amazing like i said the set design is unreal um it's by bernard rose who did Candyman, um and it just deserves as much acclaim as as candy man it's it's just as good it's it's amazing um and yeah and um, people should see it go watch go watch it those are the men go watch fucking paper house yeah on subject are there any films coming out in the next year to two years that you have your eye on that you're personally excited for in the horror genre um off the top of my head i mean nope was the big one which was fucking just incredible it's one of my top 10 movies of all time now um the next little while off the top of my head i'm really uh looking forward to the movie um i saw the tv glow which is coming out from jane schoenbron forgive me if i said that name wrong who directed we're all going to the world's fair which was amazing um there's very little out about it right now but just like it from what i've heard it, I, i'm the most excited about that movie it looks amazing 
the more experimental horror can get in the next few years, honestly, the better, in my opinion. That's where I feel like I horror for me anyway is the last dependable genre that's not yeah. the comic book movie genre, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. Horror movies always tend to make a set amount of money and they always draw a set amount of people regardless on it. Also, I feel it's the last kind of genre you can make on a micro budget and still make money back, quite honestly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and this has been an amazing year for horror horror movies. Every, there's been a, a ton of great ones. X. Um, X was great. Um, this is that thing where I completely blank on everything I'm, I'm ostensibly talking about. Nope. X. Um, I just watched a movie with Rebecca Hall called uh, Resurrection that was oh. really good. Uh, wild plot on that one. Uh, the, uh, the 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 black phone. Oh, the black phone was fun. Yeah. Uh, God, what else came out this year? What was your favorite horror movie this year? Oh, thank you for thank you for the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have to say this this so far this year the sadness. Oh my God, the sadness was wild. The yeah. sadness fucked my world up i got that on a recommendation from my friend zach amico he's a comedian and an actor and he he just straight up texted me out of the blue one day and he's like dude the sadness on shutter watch it going blind and i was like all right yeah that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a i literally that's a bold recommendation wow the scene yeah. in the restaurant where it all kicks off with the dude who gets the grease in his face i literally just texted my buddy and i was like this went south so quick yeah, it's uh, that's a, it's a rough watch one. That's a fucking rough one. Yeah, be Woo. careful, but watch, watch the sadness. Yeah, abandon <laughs> all hope, ye who enter here. But for those who make it through, you get a T-shirt that says "I survived the sadness," and it's yeah, holy shit, morbidly hilarious though. So check that one out. We're yeah. getting down to the end here. So this is this is an important question that I personally want to ask you. Yeah, what are some concepts? that personally scare you the most not even just a vision oh, yeah. not even just a monster not even a trope what are some concepts ideas just tangible or intangible things that scare you the most as a creator yeah all the stuff that actually scares me isn't isn't a creature isn't a, a tangible like a physical thing i'm really scared by the concept of um architecture uh scared like a hostile architecture i guess you know, like a House of Leaves style stuff where the hallways will change behind you, like being trapped in a building that is warping around you. In a, the Haunting of Hill House, for example? Haunting of Hill House does that. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of movies and stuff that, that do that, but like impossible architecture, like, you know, uh, corridors, like hallways that will go out into spaces that should be another room, you know, architecture that doesn't make sense in a way that is antagonistic, I guess. That has always really bothered me um, in a way that, kind of ties dovetails into like claustrophobia i guess um that's like the big one that's the biggest one i guess that and uh what you know all the shit that happens at the end of the borderlands <laughs> that and again duck go back and watch that movie it'll fuck your world up but yeah thanks for that you also mentioned earlier a lot of these things about you mentioned these things earlier about your art and you also mentioned this during paper house the perception of monsters and creatures when you're a child how do yeah. you feel childhood and the mental state of a child plays into horror? Oh, that's a good question. Jesus. Um, I don't know. I guess kids see things. Um, maybe kids see things a little clearer than adults would. I think that kids take things at face value a lot more. Um, so I think that I don't know. It's just something about 
kids and the way that kids would interact with something that we would call a monster is really interesting to me and how that would be perceived. And then like those perceptions being manifested and then also like how that would come off to somebody who was not a kid, I guess. I don't know. I also really love the idea of like the naivety of like a child's drawing being brought fully to life in a physical way. There's like a bunch of my monsters that are like literal paper uh, people or like stick figures that have been just like, if you took that out of a drawing and stuck it into the physical world, it'd be ghastly. Um, but yeah, the, the perspe perception of the kid or kid's perspective in, in horror. I think that it's, that's a really important, um, that's a really important perspective because I think that adults have all these ways of talking themselves out of, uh, what's happening or like reasoning around or dancing around the issues or, or whatever's happening in a horror movie or a horror circumstance but a kid is just more easily accepting they're a lot more fluid in terms of just taking things I guess so it's interesting thing interesting perspective for horror nice yeah, yeah. I very much agree you you mentioned a scene I believe you mentioned this on your Twitter there's a scene in it where Beverly is like notices yeah. something in the bathroom and her adult brain is trying yeah. to kind of barter with herself mentally. And it's like, no, there's something can't be in there. That's impossible. Yes, and then, exactly. And then like fingers rise up from like underneath the door frame. Yeah. I always love that scene. Uh, I thought that was such an interesting scene because it really does play off the, the perceptions of adults and how we will you know, if you see something, I feel like it's a lot easier just to build up a wall and convince yourself that it didn't happen this way or it didn't happen that way or just like make yourself an unreliable narrator. Um, whereas kids will acknowledge that and they have more power in that they're just, they don't dance around it, I guess. And it, the novel plays around with that, you know, the, the two narratives. So having Beverly as an adult, you know, have something horrible happen like that, like a it, the Pennywise laughing in the bathroom next to her and then going through the whole motions of it like building those walls up and, and reassuring herself and saying no this didn't happen i'm tired you know this that and then just having it happen again flat out is just wonderful and like so scary and i've never that always just stands out to me from that novel i always think about that scene honestly it's a again if you haven't read it the novel it's very little can do the sequences in it that are that terrifying justice you just have to yeah. read it for yourself this has truly been one of my favorite interviews that I've done in a very long time, sir. So I really want to thank you for that. But before I let you yeah. go, what is next on the docket for you, sir? Do you have anything in the works right now? Do you have any, do you have any pieces that you're working on currently? Do you have anything, yeah. anything kind of more major in the pipeline that you're maybe you're within a position to talk about or pimp out a little bit? Um, yeah, I'm, most of the stuff that's going on right now is stuff I can't talk about or I'm under NDA uh, or what have you. I'm very, very busy Curses. right now. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I wrote a book uh, for kids with Scholastic um, that is in the process of hopefully moving forward. Um, so that might be something you'll be able to see in the next little while. Um, there is a podcast coming out from the Bloody Disgusting Network uh, that I'm developing with a bunch of really amazingly talented writers called the Mayfair Watcher Society. Um, that is hopefully going to be out in October. Um, I'm reading the scripts right now and they're just incredible. They're all taking 
they're going off of kind of one-off photos that I did, monsters that I did that didn't get built up and, and kind of become, became, you know, more viral or popular, um, but giving them a whole narrative or a story around each, each episode will be about one of those monsters. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, and aside from that, just a bunch of stuff I can't talk about. Um, I'm still doing a lot of personal work every day, trying to do more of those photo monster guys. Um, yeah, I think that's it right now that I can talk about. Yeah. And, but as, but as they always say, leave the people wanting more. Where can, yeah. the, pe where can the people find you on social media? Where, where is the best pipeline to see your stuff on a daily basis? Yeah. Uh, if you just want to see art, uh, that'd be Instagram. That's the best one. I just keep that mostly just to art. And that's Trevor Henderson, all one word, like at Trevor Henderson. That's my thing there. Um, but if you want the stupid jokes and the bullshit and also movie recommendations and book recommendations, as well as the art all mixed together with, you know, retweet, retweets and stuff, then Twitter is best for that, which is Slimy Swamp Ghost. I misspoke earlier and I said Silly Swamp Ghost. And I oh, no, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> slimy Swamp Ghost. Yeah excellent and if you want to follow me follow the follow my twitter at affalbo underscore benjamin you can follow me there if you want to get more updates on the on the more episodes definitely follow me there as well as the facebook page for it came from queens just type in it came from queens it'll be the first thing that comes up just a reminder we're available on itunes and spotify so definitely check us out for more future episodes there and thank you once again to our wonderful guests today for taking the time out to talk about all these wonderful subjects and much like all great things i like this so much we might just have to do a sequel down the line yeah. So thank you once again, sir, for being on. And thank you all for tuning in to The Static again this evening. Once again, I'm Benjamin Falbo. Stay weird. Have a good night.